Welcome to Vagabond Actors Podcast. I'm Andrea Helene from Mallorca, Spain, and joining me as ever are Brian Casp from Prague. Hello. Hello, Brian. How are you? I'm good. I'm sweaty, but I'm good. <laughs> I'm glistening. Yeah, yes. of course you are. Yes, that's right. How could you be used to anything else? Oh, no. Yeah. Only glistening, darling. <laughs> and in London, speaking of fine use of language to differentiate things, let's talk to Gary Condes. Hi, Gary. Hello. Greetings. How, How are, are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Well, uh, I think it was Brian's turn to be sweaty by the sounds of it, and I'm the opposite. I'm bone dry, so. Oh, no. <laughs> As opposed Is that a good thing? You should see your doctor, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm putting it off. I'm putting it off. So All our right. Vagabond Actors team is in top form <laughs> from, <laughs> oh gosh. from across Europe. And we are really excited about today's episode because we have a very special guest, one of my dearest friends and an extremely talented uh, vocal coach and actress and photographer. She, you name it, she can do it. Evelyn Edwards. Welcome, Evelyn. Hi. Yay! I am so, 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 so honored to be here. I first want to say what amazing stuff you guys are doing for the acting community. Your podcast is fantastic, and it's a complete honor. Thank Aww. you. Thank you very much. Um, you can come again. Yay! I'm in! I'm in! We, we haven't even started, and you can come again. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Let's chat quickly before we get into finding all about Evelyn. Let's check in with each other on what we've been doing since we last spoke. You know, it's crazy. It's always when you go on vacation that your agent seems to okay. come back to life oh my God. and send you <laughs> several tapes to do. OMG. And yes. so I was away for the weekend. We left on Thursday. Friday, I get a self-tape and then I get another self-tape, which I'm not complaining about, but they were both due on Monday. It's always the adage of as soon as you book a vacation yes. that's non-refundable, you're going to get a job <laughs> that conflicts with that vacation. Or if someone's coming to visit you, you're going to get a job that takes you away for, out of town. Or if you are out of town, let's say camping or something like that, you are going to have a self-tape for one of the biggest jobs that you ever want to do. So that was, uh, that was my weekend. That's sort of the story of my career. Exactly <laughs> yeah, as you exactly. describe it. Yeah. Yeah. If I want to jigger something in my creative life, I just need to book a vacation. Ideally non-refundable. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, how are you doing? Um, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. I have, um, just continuing, my eternal adventure with actors and acting training. And this week I resumed, I think I mentioned where I was working with some actors that I've worked with for a number of years, and they really wanted to sort of play with the sense of character and push things. And we resumed that this week. And, um, you know, really just looking at the three stages, first of all, the truth of the actor, then the truth of the actor in the circumstances, and then layering on the final kind of stage and the truth of the actor in the circumstances, but characterized. And, mm. you know, all with a, a sense of play, a real great sense of play and push oneself beyond one's baseline habits and the mere mm -hmm. truth. 
um, you know, into characters. And there was um, some one, someone did Rosencrantz from Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead and really pushed that. Um, someone took um, the Tramp character from Harold Pinter's Homecoming and really mm. pushed that. And um, Women of Manhattan, Billy from that. I'm, I'm sure you mm-hmm. know that. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, again, that was pushed and, and, you know, not even necessarily staying true to the pieces they're from, just riffing on them and, and, mm. and really seeing how far one can go without losing the root of truth. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of our episode that we just released on character and developing character. So here's a shameless plug. Yeah. You know, if this is something that you're interested in finding more about, check out that episode. At the end of the day, you know, if you strip it right down, acting, you know, you dress up and you play. (laughs) You know, it's nice to play a modern day character who works in an office. But I don't think actors get pushed enough these days with extreme characters and fantastical characters. Wonderful. I have been gearing up towards starting classes in September, in-person classes with social distancing. Yay! And um, we've found a space and... This is kind of fun. So one of the actors who's super excited about it, my my colleague here put out something on social media yesterday, and I'll be teaching on Monday evenings. Yesterday was Monday. And um, my daughter caught that the image in the flyer didn't say starting in September, but it did say it in the body of the social media post. So sure enough, this actor showed up at the studio at the appointed time and was texting and we're saying, Oh, we love your enthusiasm. Uh, I owe you a drink, um, for your time, but, uh, no, see you in September. So I'm glad somebody is showing up to learn Meisner in Mallorca because I love his enthusiasm. He's actually a really exciting actor. So I'm looking forward to working with him. So that's happening. And, um, I'm also gearing up toward to reaching out to some agents here in Europe I'm getting set up now with several of the European casting sites and then digging into redoing my demo reels or show reels as they refer to them often here in Europe, because the way the sites manage them is a little bit different from in the U S. So I'm going to be getting some footage that I don't have yet and I'm resorting it a bit. So I'm working on all of that. And hopefully this fall I'm back up and running. Good. Sounds positive. Yeah. Good. Evelyn, what have you been up to this week? Anything creative uh, that you'd like to share? Well, I'm going to share a good bad story because I think that part of the reason why we listen to these podcasts is so that we can A, be inspired, but also find ourselves and see a journey that is similar to our own. Mm-hmm. I've been in this career for a while and I got a letter from my manager this morning that was like, yeah, that agent that was very interested in me is no longer interested in me. Uh, I didn't sign with them before COVID hit because I just finished a film that was possibly going to be a very big deal. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to wait. And then um, woke up this morning and they're like, yeah, they're not interested in you anymore. They don't want to sign you. So this is not just a beginner Mm. thing where we're, you know, looking for an agent and we think, am I ever going to find one? This happens Mm -hmm. in your career the whole time. Mm -hmm. And did it feel good? No way. It felt awful. Like, what am I going to do now in a why me moment? And Mm -hmm. then I had to remember that there's a place and a path for me and Mm -hmm. the stories that I can tell. I'm the only person that can do that. And that this is a lifelong journey. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we just released 
missed our last episode about mindset and rejection. And I also think that I, I really, I joke about this in my voice teaching practice, and I've said it a lot in acting teaching as well, is singing problems, voice problems, acting problems are life problems. So this is a mirror to say, okay, why is this such a big deal? Is it you don't feel worthy? You don't feel loved? And I actually legitimately go that deep and I say, okay, if Meryl Streep's agent dropped her, I think she'd be upset, but she'd know that she could get another agent because she knows what her talent and her worth is. Mm -hmm. So it's putting it into perspective. If you know your talent and you know your worth, you know that there's something else out there for you. I love that you are sharing it with us because you're right. It's really, really important to recognize uh, that at all levels, there are transitions and shifts and disappointments and victories. And, um, and we do take them personally, but we also have to manage handling them professionally. And you also have stories. I've had friends who have been dropped by their agent because they're in the bottom 5% of the agent's roster in terms of how Mm -hmm. much they earn. Right. Mm -hmm. With agents, unless you find the right one, Mm -hmm. it's transactional. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time. 100%. Mm -hmm. It's a business relationship, but we take it personally because it is about our art and our soul Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we put into our work. And so you think, oh, if someone doesn't want me, that's because they don't like my soul. Yes. But it could be because in the meantime, they just signed someone who was more quick on the uptake and said, yeah, I want to join you. And that fills that spot in their books. And they have to you keep know? the lights on. You exactly. Know. They have to keep the lights Which on. Which is hard for agents these days anyway. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so mm-hmm. it's a tough relationship and you want to find the right one. And it's good to remember that it's great to have an agent who's a friend and, and obviously they should be a supporter and someone who is a, a cheerleader in your corner. But in the hierarchy of representation, it could be quite cutthroat in terms of which Mm -hmm. agents uh, are going to get you in the right rooms, which agents are concerned about how much you're earning. If you move up to a big agent too quickly, you might just get lost. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, so, Mm -hmm. so it's a really tricky, tricky subject. Mm. We should do an episode on, on agency and agency manager relationships and cultivating that. And um, maybe Evelyn needs to come back and join us for that conversation. (laughs) I I, I would love that. You should bring your new agent. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner. And if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters, your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put VAGABOND25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. 
We are so excited to have Evelyn as our guest uh, on this episode. She's just, she's an extremely talented actress and acting teacher, singer, vocal coach. And we are really thrilled to have you join us because, number one, you've got the talent. You've got this wonderful career and level of experience. You love to share your knowledge. You've got a great sense of humor. And also, you've just made the transition recently from Los Angeles to the UK. So you have some particular insights into these marketplaces. And um, and we'd love to just welcome you, first of all. Thank and, you so much. Oh, You're so lovely. I'll spend all day with you every day. <laughs> I love that, friend. You know your story better. I would love to give you the opportunity to share a little bit uh, for our listeners about your career. And then I've got some questions. I've got some true or false questions for you. And we're going to get into it. So I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, um, which everybody thinks is really funny that people actually grow up there. And I did. <laughs> um, my dad was an executive producer and I grew up in the industry. He worked on the show Cops, which is the first reality television show really in in the United States and was about they followed police officers around and so uh, I was cheap talent Uh, my dad did lots of commercials for the hotels and everybody in Las Vegas and I started I was in my first commercial at six months and I also started doing ballet and ironically I live in the UK now but uh, I did RAD, which is Royal Academy of Dance training in Las Vegas. And I did that for 12 years and I was very, very, very serious about it. And that's all I wanted to do in life was to be a ballerina. And when it was time for me to go on tow, my dance teacher told me that I wasn't allowed because my bones weren't formed enough to do it. And I did not understand that as a child brain. That was like the devastation of my life. So I stopped dancing. Mm. And in that time, my dad was doing some stuff with this woman who was a very prominent voice teacher in Las Vegas. And there was some work he did with her for her business and she couldn't pay him. And so he said, well, maybe we could do some trade my daughter has a really great voice and maybe you could give her some voice lessons. And I was 13 at the time. And so I took my first voice lesson from her. And within a year and a half, I started singing big band and jazz professionally on the strip in Las Vegas at one of the biggest clubs. And then through her was introduced to Seth Riggs, who was, if anybody wants to go Google Seth Riggs, he taught Barbara Streisand and Janet Jackson and the Red Hot Chili Peppers and God and Jesus. Mm. And I went to my first couple of lessons with him and he said, you're going to be an opera singer and you need to take from my wife. And I was Mm. 14 at the time. I ended up graduating from high school early, going to college. I ended up singing a Los Angeles opera when I was 18 years old. And I was one of the younger people to sing a Los Angeles opera. I sang there for two seasons. Um, And then I went to New York and I uh, did my post-master's degree in New York and sang in Spain and Germany and and stuff like that. And then I was diagnosed with a very rare neurological disorder where my vocal cords spasm only when I sing. Wow. There's a little bit of a theme here. It was sort of like 
the moment that I found out I couldn't go on toe. When I was originally diagnosed, they said that I wouldn't be able to speak in 10 years. Hmm. I had given up my life to be a singer. I had given up relationships. I would wake up in the morning and I would warm up and it would determine whether or not I was a good person. Truly, honestly. Mm. I was so hard on myself. And when I sat in that room and heard that, it was like, not just what do I do, but who am I? I did. I When I introduced myself, I would say, hello, my name is Evelyn Edwards. I'm a singer or I'm a singer. Oh, and my name is Evelyn. I, I, it was so intertwined for me that I had to not just reinvent myself. I had to understand who I was and what was important to me and what I believed in. And so I, I stepped back from that. And I literally, there was one day that I sat on the beach in Hawaii with my, my family. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? And I really looked up the sky and I was like, what am I supposed to do? And then I got this idea of, of being a, a, a voice professor and at, at a, at, this is true, at a school in Tonga. <laughs> and I wrote them. As you do, right? As you, as you do. I mean, yeah, this is, this is what happens when you talk to this guy. And I was literally going to go teach voice in Tonga and then, um, Mad Men came on <laughs> and my dad knew the medic on Mad Men. And he was like, hey, does your, your daughter want to um, be on Mad Men? <laughs> and so that was mm. my first job. And mm. I started at 27. So if there's anybody out there listening who's like, I'm old, can I do this? Yes, you can. I don't know how you think of the themes in the quiet of your own heart. But what I hear certainly is a story of resilience and determination and dedicated pursuit of things that you love. And so was acting initially satisfying to you? That is a fantastic question. So I knew that I, I knew that I, I, I hesitate to say needed. I knew that I was, I know that I am a storyteller. Mm -hmm. I know how important stories have been in my life, mm -hmm. how art and music and movies and films have been things that have taught me who I am, taught me who I want to be, taught me about the world I live in. Um, I, and I just recognized that it was imperative that mm -hmm. I was still part of that Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. right after I stopped being able to sing, I was living in New York and I did decide that I was going to take an acting class. And I met with the owner of the school and I, and I told him my story and I told him all basically what I told you that I was no longer able to sing. And I just, I needed a creative outlet. And, and he said to me out, and I remember this because, you know, there, there, there are moments yes. that help you keep going. And I remember wow, I'm totally going to cry. Mm. I remember he said, you're going to be a better actor than you ever were a singer. Mm. And this is what you're supposed to do. And I was like, yeah, cool. Thanks. Cool. So when's, when's class Tuesday? Oh, great. I'll be there. <laughs> and um, I started doing Meisner. I did Meisner from the very beginning. And I was overwhelmed by... This is a very interesting thing that I talk to my singing students about a lot if I get actors that come to me. Um, and I say, here's the difference between acting and singing. So when I very first 
started acting, I was overwhelmed with the fact that I was in charge of the emotions Mm -hmm. and how long the emotions went for, Mm -hmm. right? Because in singing, the composer tells you how long you're going to be sad for Mm -hmm. and in what way you're going to be sad, Right. So when mm-hmm. we watch movies and we watch it, uh, we hear the score underneath. Well, here's something really interesting that happens after it's been shot. Mm-hmm. So the composer is helping to deepen and solidify those emotions that w- we want the audience to experience. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was overwhelming for me in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I felt like you know, when you get into a, a, a fight and you say a whole bunch of things that you wish you hadn't said, that was acting for me for the first year. I was like, there's a lot of shit that happens really fast. And I just, uh, uh. Um, and then, and then ironically, I found Shakespeare mm. and there's a lot of contemporary actors that really find Shakespeare difficult, I would wanted to give Shakespeare a great big hug. Because so mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there are, there's beats and measures. And he tells me what I need to do. Thank you. <laughs> and it was very similar to classical singing. And I had done quite a bit of Shakespeare in opera. And so that helped me feel okay with putting my emotions out there in the way they come mm-hmm. by myself with mm-hmm. no help. Evelyn, have you ever read Stanislavski on opera? I have. And I mean, this is what's funny. Cause again, a lot of people read all of Stanislavski stuff. And they're like, blah, 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 blah. When I read it, he <laughs> wanted to be an opera singer. That's what he wanted to do. And there's a, there's a very, very, very famous opera singer that Stanislavski talks about. His name's Shali Oppen. Mm-hmm. And he talks about him in My Life and Art, I think. I'm pretty sure it's in My Life and Art. And the story that Stanislavski tells is when he saw him play Satan. He saw him as he was walking backstage. And then when he would come up on stage, he could see that he became a different person. And that's part of the reason why Stanislavski wanted to be an actor is from music and from opera. Because that book, Stanislavski on Opera... Yeah. Was the reason that mm-hmm. I moved to Prague. Oh, wow. I remember that conversation yeah. with you, Brian. I remember yeah. that. Oh, look. And it yes. all comes for full circle. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, mm-hmm. I couldn't get through that first chapter yeah. about how he used to work with his singers without crying every two pages or so. Oh, I love Because it was so trenchant for me. Yeah. To try and find the path through singing and dealing with the stringent application of the emotion that is given by the composer mm. and finding that in yourself and how to deal with that. And I, because I also uh, studied music mm. and was a singer when I was at university and a little bit beyond and was trying to re-find that path again, hmm. like he described it in the book. And so mm-hmm. it kind of led to me moving away and to, to, to Eastern Europe. That's a, that's a different story, but it just, it seems such a great guidebook to me Yeah, about how to square that. Okay. We gotta, we gotta do what the composer says, but we also need to be somewhat truthful about what's happening inside of us. Yeah. And one of the things that I say, I actually talk about, again, talk about this in my studio a lot. Nobody says ever when somebody goes to sing Aida, 
her voice, she doesn't magically become Aida. It's that person singing Aida. And it's her unique sound and voice. Yes, we're saying words, singing words, singing notes that have been written hundreds of years ago, but mm-hmm. only, but it is you who I am seeing do this tonight. And it is your yeah. voice and your sound and your unique vision on this that makes Aida come to life. Because you know, I know you guys were talking about character in your last mm-hmm. episode. So mm-hmm. I have a question, actually. You're talking about the differences between singing and acting, you yeah. know, in a nutshell, sort of the control that you needed to have for opera singing in particular or heightened singing. And then the freedom that yeah, you kind of discovered yeah. uh, when you started to go to acting classes. I mean, yeah. what is the main thing that you took into acting from your dancing and singing experience. I'm fascinated by, and it's interesting to hear Brian talk about his experience with Stanislavski talking about the opera book, is is I'm fascinated by heightened performance. Yes. Still maintaining a truth. You know, I love Cassavetes. I love all of that stuff that just falls out and there's a real emotional, raw truth, but it's freewheeling. But I'm always fascinated about form and content and the balance between the two, which is often achieved in opera, and that's held as the highest art of Mm -hmm. those two things. But I'm just wondering whether your experience in dancing and singing, what whether you were able to, whether you just threw it all out and went, right, I'm just going to let all my hairs hang out now that I'm an actress, or whether you took something, a main thing that you took from your dancing and singing experience into acting that helped you. Absolutely. And both dancing and singing classical music specifically, there's a rigorous athleticism. You have to know your body to do either. And so in dance, you are interpreting music through your body, right? The movement of your limbs. In singing, you're interpreting the emotions through your vocal cords. In acting, you're interpreting through words. But where does the impulse come from? That doesn't change from art form to art form. Mm -hmm. And when dancers are considered boring or singers are considered boring, it's because they're not following their impulses with what they're feeling Mm -hmm. while they're experiencing the music because they both get music, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, they've been given choreography. Yes, I've been given notes. But if I'm too concerned about technique mm-hmm. um, and I'm not letting my gut and my impulses come through what I've been given as an actor, those are words, mm-hmm. right? If I'm judging my performance, that happens in all three mediums, then the audience doesn't get to experience the full story because all of them are telling a story Mm -hmm. that is meant to be told. It's elusive sometimes, that piece that you're talking about. We've referred to it as well in in a number of different ways, just different language pieces that we can give to it. But to me, it's that raw, impulsive element that is unpredictable and maybe a little bit dangerous. And uh, it's like a little firefly. And when it's there, we, we all feel it. It's that thing that really can move us out of our chairs because something extraordinary is going on. There's the domestication of humans, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're these, these, little, we, these little people that are feeling all of these things. And then we get domesticated and told, no, don't feel that or no act this way or no, no. Right. And then we get into training and we have to tell other people's stories and other people's lives. And that what we need to work on is 
being okay with all of the feelings that have been domesticated out mm-hmm. of us. Yes. Am I right in thinking that Maria Callas kind of embodied that? Three trillion percent. And there are some documentaries that Maria Callas has that I recommend that all actors watch because she was the story is everything. Mm -hmm. And she also understood. And by the way, for good and for ill, especially at the end of her life, um, she was very aware of the power and the presence she had on stage and how that affected people watching her. Mm-hmm. She really had that sense of story. I actually think she's one of the greatest actors of time. Yeah, she was incredible, incredible to watch on stage. There's one performance, and maybe you guys can link it, of her singing in a concert, and I believe it's in Japan. I'll find the link for you guys to post um, in the description box. And there's it's from the opera Don Carlo, and she has like five minutes of just instrumental music where they she's on stage <laughs> and she is mesmerizing to watch mm-hmm. because she goes through absolutely every nanosecond of feeling that that character is going through before she sings mm-hmm. that aria that's part of the story that she's going to sing Hmm. And you, you're like, she cared that much. And there's plenty of people that stand on stage in plays mm-hmm. when they're not acting and are not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And she is mesmerizing to watch. And also, ironically, hilariously, um, her brooch falls off during <laughs> the music and she catches it and she makes it part of it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's totally and you're just like, yeah, right. You're just like, oh, you're everything. This is why you're Maria Callas. But yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So when did you when did you introduce yourself as I'm Evelyn and I'm an actor? Um, that's a very good question. The next job after I did Mad Men, I did this really, really, really strange job. It ended up being one of the most expensive web series at that time that had ever been done. And I ended up playing this French character. And the only reason I could do that was because of my opera training and because I right. because I did spoke French. I spoke French. Let's not get excited. Because I could speak opera French. Um, <laughs> and there was one episode that I had to do where I was had to be guys oh my gosh Andrea you'll love this um I had to be drunk I was like a (laughs) babyest of baby actors and like to be drunk for multiple minutes at a time and not look like an a-hole is hard (laughs) as you guys all know right even when we get auditions now and you have to be drunk in the audition you're like I gotta I gotta practice this a little bit uh so I had to be drunk for the whole episode and I had to yell at a six-year-old and she oh. was in the episode and she had to stand there. And so I, I had a talk with her beforehand and um, I did this whole episode and I screamed about her and how her dad didn't really love her and her dad didn't really want her and all this awesome stuff with an accent and drunk. <laughs> and, at, and, I, and what I did is I scared the little girl. Of course you did. Up. Well, and I and she started to Good cry. Good for you, Evelyn. Good for you. I know. I'm proud of you. I know. And it and it felt real, guys. Um, yeah. But it did. It, it, I was like, oh, I'm doing this. Mm. And then everybody came up to me afterwards, and they were like, that was that was really 
impactful. And I left and I was like, oh, I'm an actor. Hmm. I, I can actually do this. Because when I got the script beforehand, I was like, maybe I should just quit the show now <laughs> and, and just go be an office worker because this is, I can't do this. And that was the day I knew that I was an actor. Aww. What are the things that you see in the acting students that you feel passionately about addressing? In performance, in their attitude, in their discipline, in the craft, what are the things that really rile you up? We started talking about the discipline aspect, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think American actors, and I've only been here a year and I've only taught at one acting school here, but I'm just going to say it in general. I don't think actors have discipline. Here, here. And there is not an opera singer on the planet Earth that's singing professionally today that still doesn't work with their coach, mm -hmm. that still yeah. does not check in with their voice teacher. So if you think that you can go to drama school and get out and never be in another acting class for the re rest of your life. You are W-R-O-N-G. Mm -hmm. No, <laughs> not going to happen, friends. What does that and, spell? That spells wrong. <laughs> um, and, and if you think that you, because friends, I don't know if you guys have talked about this. When you start your career, if you go out four times in a year, you're doing a good job. Mm -hmm. And so if you think that you're going to be okay emotionally and ready to go on an audition, and you're only going out four times a year, and somebody in that room that's going to go out that day goes out four times a week, and you're not in class, there's no way. You're not setting yourself up for success. No, it's it's really interesting because one of the reasons why my, my question earlier was whether you would say discipline or not, because yeah. the, the actors who I get, the most disciplined of those are always, without a doubt, dancers and singers. Yeah. They are the most disciplined. And, you know, one my old American teacher in, in New York said 90% of acting is discipline. 15% of actors in LA take 80% of the work. Mm -hmm. That's right. The discipline is, is everything. And it's really interesting that you say that. Well, and then I would say to European actors, and I love you, I give you a great big warm hug. You guys are not even remotely trying as hard as LA actors are. And what I, I mean agree. By, what I mean by that is because there's not 6,000 people going out for a role, when yeah. I audition as a white female, there are 6,000 people that are submitted for my role in Los Angeles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's more apparent. Right. And, and there, you know, when I, when you go, when you get at the higher level and you're going out for a series regular, those girls get a stylist, they get a makeup artist, they have a lighting crew come. And if they're doing a self-tape, that's how much work they put into a self-tape because that can earn them a million dollars. And even, they even do that, even if they know they're, they're not a star name, but it might get seen because maybe it will get seen. Mm -hmm. So when I watch UK self-tapes or European self-tapes, mm -hmm. I'm like, whoa. 
you're going to get, and if, and you're, and if you're like, ah, I just, I'm going to go to LA because there's more opportunity there, you're going to get eaten up and swallowed alive because now what's coming up in LA is everybody is listening to the podcasts and in three acting classes and, you know, getting their $1,200 headshots. And, and that's the people who have no credits. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea that UK European actors are better actors. Cool. But the hunger of the business, we call it admin in the States, Mm -hmm. the administrative things that you have to do after you learn how to act, (laughs) they're way ahead of the game. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think what, what do you, I mean, what do you think, Brian? Because I think it's also a a cultural thing in terms that stems from the top down Mm. Um, because LA is an industry town yeah. and to the degree that London and Paris and Prague aren't necessarily. Well, London is much more of an industry town than Prague is. For it, sure. is. it is. It's not as much as LA is. I've wished for a long time in a weird way that there was more competition because it's the competition that forces you to just like you're saying to be better. You're either going to you're either going to match it or you're going to uh, get swept away by the tsunami of competition. Yeah. And when I think back to my own Playhouse West days when I was living in LA and the actors who were the most successful were the ones who would rehearse with their mm-hmm. classmates four times a day. Yeah. They would set up rehearsal after rehearsal after rehearsal they would come to class immaculately prepared they would have 10 different independent activities ready to go at any point because they were constantly working on it and it's and not to say you know your example evelyn of having to spend money on a stylist no 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 not at all like you don't have it's you don't have like you get to a certain point and that is an investment in your career that is worth it to make because you want to be seen by the right people and make an impression but even if you don't have a financial investment the actors that are treating it like a job even if you were just saying i'm going to spend eight hours every work day working on my career and maybe not all of that is in rehearsal, but an hour is making sure that all of your networking stuff is taken care of. Yeah. We've talked about that. Yep. An hour or two is making sure that your body is limber and in shape. Another two or three or four hours is actually in rehearsal or in class or yeah. working on your own self-tape skills for stuff. Even if I have a class that's going on now and we just talked about self-tapes and we were we were doing some on-camera work and the students' eyes were opened and they developed their own Facebook group where they're going to actually do a self-tape a week. And Amazing. what we talked about was that if you do that and then you get an audition, mm-hmm. you're going to be much more ready to go than if you just wait and get an audition. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yes, absolutely. And, and a self-tape a week, when you, exactly like you talked about, a self-tape a week, if you're competing with people who are doing two self-tapes a day, they're going to be in a much stronger position. Well, I was just going to say, in LA now, there are a million groups that do a self-tape a day, and that's their thing. And there's a, also a trend can you do it in one take? Because that's what you get in the room. And when I say this, don't don't get excited, people. I don't mean do it in one take in a crappy way, but like do it in one take in a meaningful way that you feel good about that's alive and truthful. You know, in LA, you really don't often get a redirect. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You know, when you start out in your career and you have one line and then you get to half a page, right? And then you get to the point where you're you're given 12 pages. Yeah. And it's you get it at 7 p.m. and you have to do it at 10:30 the next morning and you don't get a redirect. So if you're only, if you're not in shape in quotation marks for that, it will you will feel so miserably uncomfortable in your body and your psyche. It, it doesn't feel good if you're not ready mm-hmm. and able to do that. It just doesn't mm-hmm. feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some people will say, and I'm assuming this is the difference between what the competition does to you in LA versus pretty much the lack of competition, certainly in continental Europe and to a certain extent with the relative lack of competition in London, although it's much more than it is in Europe. Mm. Some people will say, but that's not fair. You know, mm. I, I didn't have enough time to prepare it. Mm. And the answer to that, that any acting teacher worth their salt will say is, okay, that's fine. You just don't get the part. The person who does do it and is able to do it is the one who gets the part. There will be somebody that's, who does do the work. Exactly. Yeah. There will There's going to be someone who does. And the, and that's what separates the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. When I went on my first big audition in the UK, I was mesmerized at the difference in the waiting room. Lots of talking. Most people were wearing something that was not even remotely informed by what they were auditioning for, which that's not in LA. Not that you need to wear what the character, you know, like you don't need to wear a doctor outfit. But in LA, people want Mm -hmm. to get the job so bad that they'll do everything they possibly can. Um, It was at, you go in an LA waiting room and there's people with you see the front and the backs of their their <laughs> sides and it's like, oh Lord, they did way more prep than I did. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what you start worrying about. And when I was in my audition here, it was just like, hey, it was yeah. so casual. I was shocked. And, I, and I'm not to say that every room is like that, but that was my first, the difference in the experience to me between mm-hmm. a US room and, and a UK room. Mm-hmm. And when you think about any classical instrumentalist, mm. including a vocalist, mm. if you think I'm going to be a concert pianist or I'm going to be a concert violinist mm. and those people are going to be in their practice room all the time, all day, yeah. I, all the time, every day, all day. And then you, and then you come across an actor who's like, Hey, I want to be the, the lead in this TV series. Cause I'm hot. But, uh, yeah. And then you go, well, what did you do for your career today? Uh, I, you know, I watched a movie on Netflix, you know, I kind of, I read a play maybe, you know, and you're like, well, what, Yeah. well, that's, that doesn't add up. No, I won't, I won't name the podcast. There's another podcast out there and there's an episode of a very famous actor who talks about all of the things that he did. He just didn't take it seriously, didn't bring a headshot, uh, and then just was booking commercials like nobody's business and made – he booked – I can't even remember how many national com- commercials he booked in a year. And for anybody who's not in the United States, when you book a national commercial, there's an opportunity to make $30,000 plus dollars mm-hmm. for the commercial. Mm-hmm. It was mortifying to me to listen to because he just didn't care. And I just, I, when, I didn't want actors to think that that's what you needed to do. Mm. He was relaxed. Yes. And he didn't, 
he was being himself and he didn't mm-hmm. put the pressure that a lot of us will put on. And so when he came into the room, it was like this magic fresh, he was actually acting like a human being. And so mm-hmm. I can, I totally get it. And I definitely gleaned that from the episode. But also I was like, oh, don't tell anybody this, please. <laughs> don't practice medicine without a license. Yeah, we're trying to help actors understand the importance of being prepared when you know you've done the work and you can you can then breathe. You can you can you can let your mind drift in the waiting room. And, you know, the next person who comes out of the auditioning room isn't going to freak you out in some way. If they seem particularly joyous or happy or the casting director is giving them a kiss goodbye, whatever, like you want to get it in a centered, relaxed space. One of the things I really believe about being an artist is it's supposed to help you be the most fully realized version of yourself that you can mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. Self-worth is something that we all as humans is is an issue that we're working on. But I think artists they get the rejection all the time. It's a special part of us that we're really learning to develop that yet mm-hmm. you are worthy. You're worthy if your teeth aren't straight. You're worthy if you're not the size that you're seeing on a magazine. You're worthy if you're not seeing your representation on a television show, right? You're still worthy mm-hmm. and your story is worthy and the way you experience emotions is worthy. And if, if you don't have an agent, you're still worthy, <laughs> bring it full circle. Right? Amen. You know what I mean though? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I and I think that that is like one of the like when you're beginning out as an actor and you're worried about not just beginning the whole time. You're worried about doing it right and being interesting. Well, isn't doesn't that reflect life, right? Art reflects mm. life. We want to be interesting on a date and we want to be interesting in real life and we want people to like us and we want people to pick us. It's so heightened in this creative field that we've picked because we experience the rejection and we go to class and we work on ourselves to chisel away at that misunderstanding Mm. every time we go to class and every time we go to an audition. Amen. I have some true false (laughs) questions for you from your perspective. You ready? Yeah. Okay. True or false. Everyone can sing. True. Awesome. Absolutely. Now, I will I will put that as a, a caveat to that. Everyone can run. Certain people can run really fast, right? <laughs> yes. So, so, but can we all sing? Absolutely. We sang before we talked. True or false? Singing with your chest voice will harm your vocal cords and possibly impair your head voice. Oh, that's a woo technique question. Yeah, I mean, if you're using your chest voice incorrectly, it's controlled screaming. If you're doing it incorrectly, you can harm yourself. Will it shorten your range if you're doing it incorrectly? Yes, absolutely. Excellent. True or false? Singers who act can be perceived as less capable than actors who sing in the acting world. I don't know that that's true because I I look at like Jennifer Hudson and Jennifer Lopez and Lady Gaga and rappers that have that have transitioned into acting. I don't I don't think that they're perceived as less actors. I, I have not experienced that personally. I haven't experienced that stereotype. I know that singers think that 
acting singers are not as good singers. Mm-hmm. I think the stereotype goes the opposite direction. In the musical theater world, if you're a singing dancer, I think that there's a there's a stereotype there more than there is an acting singer. Mm. True or false? If you want to hit a high note, imagine going lower. Um, I will use that visualization. What a, a lot of times, what I'll, I'll say is that it's a counterbalance thing where you mm. think down. Mm-hmm. And you go inside yourself, and at the same time, you'll feel that you're able to go up. But if you're thinking down, sometimes students can pull down, like a pull-up, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not – we don't want that. Last one, and this – I know you're going to have a point of view about this because we've talked about this a little bit. True or false, this is a perception, vocal damage is normally linked to poor technique. Yeah, one, one trillion percent, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True or false – you are a rock star. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. True. It's true. It's true. I'm sure every actor has a technique and a toolkit, but yeah. what's the one thing in your toolkit or technique that you couldn't do without? Now, I'm sure there's a number of things, but if the god of acting came down and said you have to throw everything out apart from one thing, is there one sort of element that that you know that always uh, gets you through or that feeds off into other things. And that is the essence. Okay, great. Go for it. Um, And this is going to be a a no brainer music. Ah, Um, because the amount of times I've used music for preparation Mm -hmm. is 100%, 100% of the time I use music for preparation. Brilliant. Yeah. Can you can you just go into that a little bit more? Because there's there's always this myth about music and using it and not using it and memorizing it and having it a recording of it. And so go into a bit more detail about that if you could. Sure. I mean, for me, number one, it relaxes me. It gives gives me something to focus on besides all of the baloney sauce that's in my brain, which is judgment and and what I want to do and what I want to push, right? The idea of playing mm-hmm. an idea rather than what comes out of me naturally and spontaneously. Mm-hmm. And so when you listen to music, your brain can't censor out sound music, right? Mm-hmm. So it has to engage with it. And so I will find a piece of music that has the general, and by the way, it can be funny. It can be like, if I'm, you know, if you need to go do something that's high energy, it's whatever you need to find. I will find something in the general direction that I want to enter in the room with or enter into the scene with. The last film I did, I just did a big uh, movie in India. And I talk about what would make the your character's candle blow out if it happened that that it mm. that they would crumple right mm-hmm. and in the in the in the film it was that and i found a song that did that and every single take i turned that on and and my director knew and they knew what it was and the people on set were like what is she doing <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then it helped me be able to do it great well, you know, Jack Lemon always used to sing songs to him as mm-hmm. for his preparation. Yeah. Uh, just to himself or in his mind, he had songs for all of his preparations, mm-hmm. happy, sad, and angry. Yeah, and, and Meisner talks about it too. Meisner mm-hmm. talks right. about a lot, music, how important music is. I, I, there's, there's one thing that there's not a person on the planet Earth who says, I don't like music. 
not only does everybody like music, it also tends to define them by mm-hmm. what type of music they listen to. Mm-hmm. So that's something to even think about in your character work, right? Mm-hmm. I guess the one the one last thing I would just want to throw out there because I work with a lot of actors um, and I do a lot of accents and accent reduction work. And I'm in a country where I do not speak the native accent of the land. And I worked with hundreds of actors in LA that came from a different land. And the first thing that they were told was that they need to work on their accent. And I'm going to say to you, that is correct. And then I'm going to say to you that you will probably book, the first thing that you will book will probably be in your native accent. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Yeah. And and not only that, you're going to be like, why am I doing this? (laughs) Sofia Vergara spent lots of money and years of her life and continues to take accent reduction classes. Um, Antonio Banderas, Chow Young-Fat. I mean, I, I, the, the list is, is so long. It doesn't mean you don't still need to do the work, but it's back to know that you're doing it for you and it's not the determining factor of whether or not you're going to get a job. Mm-hmm. Because ask Antonio Banderas and Sofia Vergara and all of those people if that was the ter- determining factor to whether or not they got to have their career. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they still don't work on it. Um, they were, they were, their stories needed to be told. So I don't want people to think that they can't have a career if they don't, they don't have a perfect standard American accent. No, but your agent's going to tell you that you can't. (laughs) (laughs) Those Um, agents. It's like with singing and it's like with any other, if you're coming at it from a, like a straight acting standpoint with any skill is that these, especially with accents, you can't do it quickly. No. If having something approaching a standard American accent or RP or right. whatever the accent you're going you want to move into yep. is something that you want to start to go out for those kind of roles, then you got to start working on it now because once that audition comes, like you said, you got the audition at 7 p.m., you're going in the room tomorrow at 10:30. Right, and you're not And you will not together. get it yeah. in that time. No. Mm-hmm. No. So it's got to be it's got to be something that is a continual just grinding down and and improving iteratively. The yin yang to that, in the same breath, I will say, American actors don't work on accents enough. Mm-hmm. British and Australian actors know that in mm-hmm. order for them to have the career that they want, that they have to do multiple accents. Mm-hmm. They know this. American actors don't work on accents. Yeah. 90% of the work that I have booked is because I can do accents. Mm-hmm. Me too. I've played so many German women. I've played German women who are, have a thick German accent, who only speak in German, <laughs> who speak broken right. German. I've done all sorts of levels just because I speak German and I can do the, the accent. It's completely like it does in life. Having another language will completely horizontally widen your your world. Well, and as a, as an opera singer, it was a job requirement 
that I had to be able to, I'm not going to say speak in, but perform in at least French, German, and Italian, Mm -hmm. Latin, probably Mm -hmm. Russian, throw in some Czech. (laughs) Yeah, Rusalka. Rusalka, exactly. So, so, which is the Little Mermaid uh, Mm -hmm. for all those who who are like, what are they talking about? Um, I knew that I had to do that. And as an opera singer, if you don't sound proficient in those languages, you don't get to do the job. Mm-hmm. So that just is something to think about as actors. Like you're bored. You feel like you have nothing to do. Put in a dialect tape, friend. Now you can put in some hours in your acting for that day. I love it, my friend. I'm so happy to have you sharing your goodness and so much of your journey. We love to end, as you know, as one of our loyal listeners Uh to end with some recommendations that we may have on uh, books, anything that we've experienced that we want to share. So who would like to share something that they've um, read, seen, done this week? I think Gary should go first. Gary should go first. Oh, Uh, Gary. Gary should go first. (laughs) Okay. Well, Just um, conveniently picking up on the German uh, element of that last conversation, I have been watching the uh, German TV series on Netflix called Dark. Mm. And it's quite brilliant. By the third season, it gets a bit fantastical. For those of you that don't know very quickly, it's more of a grown-up version of Stranger Things and includes time travel. Um, But really, it's about... Um, relationships and fate and what brings people together and what keeps people together. Um, But the the standout thing, it jumps around from lots of different time eras. So it's quite hard to keep hold of. So that's not a bad thing because it keeps you thinking. But the thing that stood out for me is I haven't seen a set of performances or at least a style in a show that is so emotionally committed. It is a real feel festival. Mm. And maybe that's to do with the, you know, it's this, you know, uber German uh, thing, but also I think it's probably to do with the style and the director. And because it's so heavily dependent on relationships and very extreme circumstances, there's this consistently intense and dense feel about the performances. And I don't, I can't remember a last, set of TV episodes or even a movie where there was so many tears and so much angst to <laughs> a German phrase. Um, and, but it was done in the, it had a right balance to it. So it's really intense. It's really dense. It, it, it gets you thinking it's really absorbing and you'll come out um, like, it feels like you're being dragged through a bush by the end of it. So that's my tip and recommendation for the week. Dark Netflix series, German. Love it. I'll go. Uh, We've talked about some podcast recommendations, uh, and this is an oldie but a goodie, which is Mark Maron's podcast, WTF, and specifically the episode that was, oh, at this point, it was a few weeks ago, but the episode with Sarah Snook is -hmm. actually really quite wonderful, where she talks about the process and some of her experiences going into auditioning for and booking succession and then her experiences shooting it as well. Mm. Um, And it's really quite nice to hear someone talking about 
coming from Australia and basically submitting a self tape mm. to this show and then booking it and and the changes that happen in in someone's life because of that. So mm. I would recommend WTF with Mark Marin and Sarah Snook. Mm. Evelyn, anything in particular you'd like to share? I just I have two. Is that okay that I have two? Oh, uh, yeah. I just watched The Professor and the Madman with uh, Mel Gibson and Sean Penn. Oh. And I, I, it's so good. <laughs> it's really good. Um, and I had no idea uh, that it was. it's a true story, based on a true story about the Oxford Dictionary. Mm-hmm. And um, the acting... I will say I actually enjoy Mel Gibson's acting more than Sean Penn's personally. They're both brilliant, but Mel Gibson just, I wish he wasn't crazy in real life, but he's so good. And then, um, because, because I, because I photograph castles now is my, my joy. Evelyn Uh, is an extraordinary photographer. She has a huge following and, um, and her work is, is really, really stunning. It gets, it gets well-deserved attention. It's beautiful. That for me was when I moved her, I was like, Oh my gosh, all of these amazing hit this, this stone is older than my whole country. Mm. Uh, so yeah. Um, the last kingdom, Uhtred, son of Uhtred. <laughs> he's he yeah. he is so he's so present and human and I think he's going to be the next big deal. I really do. I think he's going to be the next super 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 big deal actor. He's so good in that show. It's silly. Great. What about you Andrea? What have you been hmm. experiencing? I just finished reading a book called Untamed speaking of, uh, by Glennon Doyle, who's an American activist and author. Very, very interesting. It's written as a series of essays and it's about womanhood and becoming and parenthood and art and anxiety and addiction and grief and all sorts of wonderful things. It's really, really excellent book. It's, um, been quite a bestseller in the U S and I enjoyed it very much. And I've got two quotes for you from this book that might uh, resonate for us. I am here to keep becoming truer, more beautiful versions of myself again and again forever. To be alive is to be in a perpetual state of revolution. Whether I like it or not, pain is the fuel of revolution. Everything I need to become the woman I meant to be next is inside my feelings of now. Life is alchemy and emotions are the fire that turns me to gold. I will continue to become only if I resist extinguishing myself a million times a day. If I can sit in the fire of my own feelings, I will keep becoming. Hmm. One more quote that I really loved. You are here to decide if your life, relationships, and world are true and beautiful enough for you. And if they are not, and you dare to admit they are not, you must decide if you have the guts, the right, perhaps even the duty to burn to the ground that which is not true and beautiful enough and get started building what is. Mm. That's Glennon Doyle Untamed, and I highly recommend. 
That makes me think of the Michelle Obama speech that just came out. So powerful. Just purely as an actor, whether you agree with the politics or not, watch her because that speech is absolutely written Mm -hmm. and may have even been helped with other people giving her those words, right? And you believe every word she says. Yes. And there are there are very few I, I put on my social media that I think that she's one of the great orators of our generation. Mm-hmm. I, she, if you believe her, and there are very mm-hmm. few politicians, speakers that are up every day doing speeches that you believe every word. And mm-hmm. in this speech specifically, mm-hmm. you believe what she is saying, and it's mm-hmm. a lesson in truthfulness and commitment, emotional. Commitment to her truth, and that's which, and that's the theme of it, underlying it as well. Recognizing our truth and letting everything reflect that. Excellent. As we do all the time, we would love to hear your comments or thoughts about what we talked about today, about your journeys. I don't know if you've had a, as much ups and downs as as our guest Evelyn has had, but uh, we would love to hear about your journeys as an artist and what brought you to acting or to your art. So get in touch with us. We're at Vagabond Actors on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. And uh, Evelyn, so are you open for business? Do you want new students? Are, are you lo- actively looking for new people to come and uh, study with you? Yes. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? Absolutely. I do teach accents, accent reduction, singing, and I teach uh, online so it doesn't matter where you live. I teach an, with an amazing uh, no sound lag program. So it doesn't matter where you live in the world. If you would like to study with me, I am there for you. Um, <laughs> and I guess the easiest way to reach me, I ironically, hilariously would probably be through, uh, Instagram and I am at Evelyn Edwards one, the number one. So at Evelyn Edwards one, and you can shoot me a a direct message there. Cool. Gary, how can people get in touch with you? Um, When you're teaching classes, do you have classes coming up as well? Yeah. I mean, if they get hold of some kind of um, Austrian or Swiss horn, um, and they really, 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 you know, blow it blow into it long and hard. I will come running. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I respond to anything these days. Um, oh no. Um, they can get hold of me on yeah, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Gary Condes. And uh, as always, the best place to get hold of me is really my website and on my contact page. And yeah, I want to go to your class, Gary. Can I come to one of your classes? Can I? Certainly, certainly can. I shall resume um, in September, doing a a mix of online and sort of live, but live solo inspired courses like casting technique, monologue work, uh, script analysis, because it's not quite happening in terms of of classes and full scene study work uh, just yet. And Andrea, you've also got some classes coming up. I have classes coming up in September here in Palma de Mallorca, and um, all levels are welcome. We will be working Monday nights in person 
And uh, you can contact me on Instagram at Andrea Helene three or on Twitter at Andrea underscore Helene. And if you wanted to reach out to me, uh, I'm at Brian Casp on Twitter, Instagram, and I have a fan page. Uh, Well, I have a page that is, uh, how do I put this? You have a fan page? page? That's what it's called. I don't know. I didn't make the rules. I'm not in charge. Uh, It's a page where I post things that are related to my acting business that you can follow if you want to hear about uh, my travels um, or these days, my thoughts on acting sometimes on Facebook. Um, and I have, uh, my regular evening classes are starting September 14th and they will be in person and probably masked because masks are coming back Mm. to the Czech Republic. Mm. And, um, so we will see how that all works out. And as always, we love to hear from you. Thank you so much, Evelyn, for stopping by. Hopefully we can have you back again at some point. That would be amazing. And, um, I've had such a wonderful time. Thank you. Thank you for letting me spill my guts to you. It was our pleasure. It's been great. (laughs) Thanks very much. Our pleasure. Yeah. And so, uh, We wish everyone out there a a safe week and an artistic week. Take some inspiration from what Evelyn was saying about how hard people are working in other, in other parts of the world. And, um, and if you're in LA, then work harder because there's someone in the next house who's working harder than you. So, um, so, uh, yeah, take care everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.